0: While the coronavirus pandemic has wrought economic havoc since it arrived in 2020, it's also driven a boom in e-commerce and rapidly accelerated the digital transformation of our economy. Enforced lockdowns and a reluctance by some to enter retail stores and large shopping centres has meant more consumers and businesses embraced e-commerce. In June last year, Australia Post reported that 200,000 households shopped online online for the first time during lockdown. According to their online shopping report, the number of e-commerce parcels grew by over 80% in the months after the pandemic was declared. This growth in e-commerce, though, has some unfortunate side effects, including the creation of more waste, as many merchants still use traditional single-use plastic courier bags. But is this changing? Plastic and the overpackaging of online purchases is something that a number, a growing number of businesses are seeking to address and more consumers too are demanding environmentally friendly packaging. Today I'm joined by a panel of guests to talk about e-commerce, the growth in online shopping and sustainability. Kate Bezar is co-director of the Better Packaging Company, headquartered in New Zealand, and Kate joins us in the Auckland studios. Jonathan Baker is also in the studio with her. Jonathan is a senior lecturer in international business strategy and entrepreneurship at Auckland University of Technology. James Chin is the founder and the CEO of the courier service Sendel. And Cinchio Cozzolino is the founder of Smoothie Bombs in Australia. Uh, Jonathan, I thought I'd start with you. By just getting you to give us a bit of the the bigger picture of this discussion, a, a, a lot of things have come together to nudge more consumers towards e-commerce and, and online shopping. Not just COVID. What are what are some of the forces that have driven more of us away from bricks and mortar retailing toward e-commerce?
1: Well, I guess generally um, there was already a, a strong move towards e-commerce and people buying more and more online. Um, that was natural, where things like department stores in the past had offered the widest range of products for um, consumers, then come along firms like Amazon that um, not only offer extraordinary broad range of products, but also um, in a way that's highly personalised for the consumer as well in the way they recommend other um, other potential um, purchases. So, then obviously with um covid coming along and all the lockdowns uh, many people were driven to to shop online even more but um i would argue that really all the pandemic has done is accelerate what was already um a, a pretty well entrenched trend
0: do we do we know by how much e-commerce has grown in this period since COVID took over in, say, New Zealand, in Australia. Are there figures around that give us an indication of this?
1: Yeah, there are, actually. Um, Euromonitor in, in, uh, over in Europe have released some uh, new figures on that on 2020, what happened in 2020, and the growth was just extraordinary. Um, in Australia, mm-hmm. uh, there was a 22% growth in value um, of spending, so that went to $38.8 billion Australian dollars in online spending. And in New Zealand, it grew even more um, proportionally uh, by 27% to $6.2 billion New Zealand dollars. So just absolutely extraordinary growth.
0: And what are people buying online now and, and during COVID that we weren't buying online so much before? Are there particular categories that have accelerated more than other categories?
1: yeah it's quite interesting i mean obviously a lot of people were already buying um sort of staples online uh things like supermarket um groceries but that that growth has also been amazing and the supermarkets in both both countries still maintain the largest market share in online sales um but interesting also in covid we saw things like um uh, espresso machine sales just go through the roof and as a result then of course the supermarkets are selling a lot of coffee beans, which has impacted the cafe's ability to be able to rebound post-COVID. Also, uh, there was massive growth in things like, obviously, cleaning products and um, things like wellness products and, and, and products for health and well-being
0: oh my god that 's just described me. I bought myself an espresso machine a while ago, thinking that i'd just make myself the odd cup of coffee uh, at home and and found out that the coffee was so good that i 'm not buying coffee from my local coffee retailer anymore. feel really bad about it, not with, and i 'm stuck at home too. I never leave the house um, uh, Just a quick one before I come to uh, to chinchia to get to get her perspective. Jonathan, you were telling me actually before that you used to live near the biggest shopping mall in the United States some years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, What shape is is that shopping mall in now?
1: (laughs) Yeah, so this is back in 1992 in Ohio, and I was um, studying over there, and um, I got taken to what was at the time the largest shopping mall in the country, which was just ginormous, acres and acres and acres of shops, and that shopping mall is literally now just locked up and completely empty just a wreck of a place.
0: Yeah, wow, that kind of tells the story almost uh, in that one example. Uh, uh, Chinchia, if I can come to you, you you, um, make a product called Smoothie Bombs, which you sell predominantly online, um, and you've seen huge growth in sales of your product. Uh, But first of all, just tell us, what are Smoothie Bombs?
2: so they're a a smoothie booster it's a it's like a it's in a ball shape and it has 10 ingredients and basically it's a way to uh, enhance your smoothie making at home and so i was perfectly positioned the brand was perfectly positioned for this change because we've got wellness product it's also, um, you know, we've got, we've got those words that, that people want to hear, immune boosting product, that we already were, were, were making them. So when um, COVID hit, it was like a, we were already positioned for, for the sales to, to boost and, and they did. They went, they went crazy for a few months.
0: So the bulk of your sales are now online, but interestingly, you didn't start out that way, did you?
2: No, I didn't. I was, you know, thinking that I, I was successful if I was in lots of stores. That's what my brain, that's how I thought about it initially. Like, just put my products out, people can get in there and and touch and feel them and it'd be great, they'll sell well. But I found that it didn't work that well because it was an innovative product. It was something that needed education. So to me, you know, I found out really quickly that I needed to kind of bring the customer to me so I can show them what it was and how to use it. And, and e-commerce was perfect for that, because we could put videos up, we can really talk through our social me- media, and that um, worked incredibly well. And it made me just pull away from the bricks and mortar and go, apart from the, the margins are better, but also you're actually, you know, you can talk directly to the consumer, which I love doing, and I think it makes you um, hear what they want, and you kind of grow with with the demand that's there.
0: Mm. And you've got a twenty something daughter as well. I'm sure she encouraged you somewhat, did she, or at least gave you the confidence that you could move into this online space. Uh, oh, uh, absolutely. Yeah.
2: I'm in my 50s, so I'm I consider myself to be very kind of hip in my 50s. I kind of get the social me- media stuff, but it's nothing like what my 22-year-old daughter's like and she runs the business with me. So we're a mother-daughter business and she is really great. She does things much faster than me. As you can imagine, she just kind of jumps in there, and looks at stuff and and understands that process. So I kind of get the idea and I say, you have to help me do that. And she just goes, yep, and gets in there, learns it. And so we got on e-commerce really quickly. We really got into the social media side. And, you know, to me, it's just a no-brainer. It's been fantastic going down that path.
0: Uh, Can you give us a ballpark figure of how much your sales increased in percentage terms during the COVID period?
2: Uh, I'd say 100%. Wow. Like we had record, um, I think May and June were record months for, for us beyond what we'd I'd expected. It was like crazy.
0: James and Kate, if I can bring you both into the conversation now, you're, you're both in the, uh, generally speaking, the packaging and shipping side of e-commerce and minimising the environmental impact. Uh, we'll get into that. Side of the discussion in a moment, um, Kate. First of all, do you do you know how how much about where the growth in e-commerce is coming from from your perspective, and 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 why why do you think there are more consumers choosing to purchase stuff online?
3: Hi, Paul. Yeah, look, I think it's a it is a couple of factors that we've already touched on. Uh, you know, I think people are reluctant to go to retail stores you know, and, and outlets and malls and the like as much. I think people are bored. They're stuck at home a bit more. Uh, and I also think there's a bit of disposable income floating around. You know, we're not travelling nearly as much. Uh, we feel like we need to treat ourselves a bit more. And the way we're doing that is by surfing the web, finding something we like and actually hitting the buy now button.
0: And we just heard from uh, Chinchia talking about the dramatic increase in sales that she experienced during COVID. Has, has that been the case, Kate, with your with your packaging as well?
3: Yeah, and look, to to Jonathan's point earlier, our business was already growing very very strongly, but we tripled our sales last year. So it's hard to know quite how much of that was driven by COVID and how much was driven by a general move towards, a sustainability in this space, but. Yeah, by all accounts, it it's, has been phenomenal for our business. We didn't think that was going to be the case. Our sales actually dropped off a cliff for about a couple of weeks. Um, I think as retailers or sellers just sort of braced themselves, you know, no one knew what was going to happen. No one knew that, that, you know, with people locked up at home, they were actually going to start purchasing so much online. And then when they realised what was happening, the, you know, they started rebuying packaging again.
0: I was going to ask you, how on earth does one prepare or, or ramp up for a three times um, increase in, the de- in demand for your product?
3: Yeah, look, it's super hard. It's, it's, it's hard on a, on quite a few levels. It's also hard when the bulk of your production is in Asia and they have also gone through a lockdown prior to, prior to yours. So their production stopped for a chunk of time. Uh, almost impossible to forecast for. Um, mm. And also very tough on cash flow because uh, you're forward purchasing um, for sales that you haven't got
0: in yet. In the hope that <laughs> yeah. this will continue, yeah. I um, uh, James, is, is your story similar to Kate's in terms of the, the growth that you've experienced?
4: Yeah, absolutely. I think um, what we saw first of all was a massive spike in demand. In other words, folk moving to on- online retail Uh, to buy more stuff, you know, for all the reasons that we've heard, you know, choice and convenience and sometimes price. And so we saw all of our shippers sending more things for each one. But then as the year progressed in 2020, what we started to see was a lot more folk turning to online to sell as well. There was almost like two two effects going on more people buying and then and then slowly over the year more people selling mm. and and we found all these you know all these folk who are for the first time ever you know switching to online they might have had a boutique they won't get in the foot traffic anymore so they'll be selling online or they might have reduced income or no income um, in fact 51% of the folk who joined us in 2020 were actually doing it as a side hustle um, in a survey that we did wow so i think we've seen two things during this this big you know last year was the the massive surge on on online shopping but also a massive surge on on lots and lots of small businesses getting online for the first time
0: so by side hustle do you mean these are people who have a a full-time job and are selling some stuff on the side or do you mean they have an online they have a, a bricks and mortar business with the online side of it being kind of a you know something they've just tacked on
4: yeah, these these were the folk who were basically not doing it as a full time job, or already had another job yeah. or another income. Um, although, as you say, a lot of folk moved from, you know, what they say, you know, bricks and bricks and mortar to bricks and clicks, and you know, having those those omni channel or, or you know multiple channels of to market businesses.
0: And and I'll, I'll put this to both James and Kate. What, uh, maybe to you first, Kate. What, what what would you say the biggest challenges are for um for for a form of commerce that relies on packaging, shipping and delivering, which is the, you know, they are elements of e-commerce that are tremendously important that uh, really are not so important if you buy from a store. What what are the key challenges in that area in that space?
3: One of the toughest things is to try and not not necessarily replicate the offline experience, but Actually, communicate your brand, your values, uh, who you are as a company in that online delivery model. Uh, and so I think that's where, if, if you can choose to package that purchase sustainably and send it with a carbon neutral courier company, that actually says and communicates quite a lot about your brand in a way that, you know, sending it in. A sort of a generic Australia Post satchel perhaps does not.
0: Uh, Jonathan, uh, Chinchie made the point earlier that she'd uh, learnt a bit from her daughter who she works with and, of course, uh, younger people have been on the e-commerce bandwagon for a long time. Ask anyone who has uh, teenage or 20-something children living at home and... Um, you'll uh, you'll see the packages arriving on the front doorstep for them <laughs> um, um, uh, but, but but is it is it now older people uh too who 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 are becoming more comfortable to shop online as well and and are they becoming a new market segment for the e-retailers
1: e- I think that's absolutely true um and I guess this is the kind of thing that speaks to what I was referring to before about uh covid accelerating what was already an existing trend so through necessity um, older people have been forced to go online, and the interesting thing is, you know, you get someone to change their behaviour once to try something once. If it's successful for them, it can be very, very hard for the old incumbent players to try and drag them back and and reestablish the old behaviours.
0: I suppose a lot of the discussion at the moment around COVID generally is when we finally get this thing under control, how much of life returns back to normal as it existed, say, in, 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 20, in 2019. And in 2019, as you mentioned, we were still uh, very much purchasing online, although not to the extent that we are now. Has COVID, in your view, uh, Jonathan, entrenched a permanent change in consumer behavior? In other words, people have gone online to buy stuff that in the past they bought from a shop and they're just not going to go back to the shop to buy those products again?
1: I think it's unquestionable. I'm not going to try and forecast whether this the, the level of online shopping we're seeing now will remain forever, um, although I guess you know it's within an ongoing trend of increasing anyway. But um, you know, where I think about 10% of New Zealanders in 2019 bought things online and now it's more like a third, um, I think... Yeah, I mean, I th- I think this is this is a reality, and, and, and so you see a lot of the brick and mortar retailers trying to um, strategize around this, like James mentioned before, trying to develop this omni omni channel presence, um, and as Kate said too, you know, really trying to impress upon your your customers um, whether they're in the store or whether they're online, who are you? What do you stand for? What are your values? What do you offer?
0: Uh, Chinsea, you still sell some of your products in shops, in brick and mortar shops. Uh, It's a minority of your sales now. Are you just assuming that in the the months and years to come that those product sales in bricks and mortar shops are just going to become a smaller and smaller proportion of your overall sales?
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think now that the customers out there have experienced what it's like to... To order online and get it delivered to them, they, I just think it's just a—it's a much easier process for them. It's—it's—it's time-consuming, you know. Especially, I think people uh, have just, you know, a lot of people have discovered how, how to do it and they're enjoying it and, you know, there's that serotonin kind of lift every time a parcel arrives, so oh. I think I, think I yeah, I, I only really sell to Bricks and Mortar if the owners contact me and they really know the product and want to sell it, because then I know there'll be a good follow through. Um, but otherwise, definitely we're just we're just staying in the e-commerce platform. it's just it's just working so well.
0: Well, the convenience is incredible. Uh, you have uh, the algorithms which you know basically ensure that you get told in your social media feeds and emails about all this great stuff that you can buy that's fairly well targeted to you. So you can certainly see why more and more of us are purchasing online. Uh, which brings us to, I suppose, the the second part of this discussion, Jonathan, and that is that an increase in online purchasing means an increase in the packaging that is required to send all of those goods out all over the world. Items that are purchased online require more packaging and wrapping for shipping in addition to their uh, existing packaging. And often this packaging is plastic, Uh, is this the Achilles heel of e-commerce that it can and does lead to more waste?
1: I I guess you could argue that, but I think if you took a more broad perspective of plastics generally, I mean, we've had problems with plastics now since the invention of plastic Um, as a petroleum product. You know, uh, I'm doing a study at the moment looking at a historic case study of the way the plastics industry in the United States really managed to deflect all responsibility for this extraordinary waste that they were creating and 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 instead force that that responsibility onto um individual consumers to engage in recycling and much of that is ostensible recycling not actual recycling um and then and then governments as well that have to have these agencies that run these recycling programs so i mean yes e uh, i e-commerce has seen a growth in 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 waste and um, you're right these products that if they were bought from a brick and mortar retailer they would have just been sort of maybe say shipped in, in, on a pallet or in a, in a box and the consumer walks away with the product now you know it's got to be packaged and then often packaged again for the courier um, uh, on top of that of course is that is that products that are bought online are three times more likely to be returned which is another set of um, packaging and shipping um but then it just comes down to what what is how how a business is going to respond to this and how are they going to respond to consumer concerns about this and that's why we're seeing the rise the rise of businesses like Kate you know who's seeing a two hundred percent growth um in, you know extraordinary extraordinary growth um, because there are some consumers, not all, but there are some consumers that are aware of this problem
0: well in fact all of the business people we have on the panel today uh, are all responding to this central issue which is why we've got you all here. Uh, Kate, you're the co-director of the Better Packaging Company which aims to create more sustainable packaging for use in e-commerce. Uh, tell me about your packaging.
3: We started, Beck and I started this company three and a half years ago and went through quite an, you know, a very extensive evaluation process to work out know what actually did constitute the most sustainable packaging options that were also fit for purpose of course and took a a very holistic view looking at you know what what were the inputs to these materials uh, how were they produced you know paper is a fantastic product but actually in its production there's a lot of um, water energy and chemicals like bleachers used Uh, and so that you know, that ruled that out for us, uh, right through, of course, to end of life. And when we found a material that functioned almost identically to plastic but was able to decompose in a home compost in, you know, a very short amount of time, less than 180 days, the appeal was huge, and I think, as, as Jonathan mentioned, you know, recycling currently and it is getting better all the time, but only goes so far of plastics. And so the the idea that, you know, we didn't have to rely on external infrastructure, councils, et cetera, to dispose of our packaging for us and that it could be disposed of by the end user was extremely attractive.
0: We're talking about uh, courier bags, padded mailers, magazine wraps and labels, that, yes. that sort of thing.
3: Exactly. So we started with courier bags, mailers, and then the, the range has since expanded.
0: Um, yep, and, 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 and and they're they're home compostable um within say hundred and eighty days. Uh yes. so so what are they made of?
3: It's a combination of ingredients. It's a little bit of an alphabet soup, but um a chunk of it is is plant based. Um and when I say plant based it 's mostly made from waste corn and cornstarch, and so it 's the corn starch that gives them quite a matte sort of silky feel uh, and then there is a component to them which is derived from petroleum uh, but you can engineer petroleum to biodegrade safely or you can engineer it to last you know hundreds of years and that's that 's your traditional plastic hmm. yeah so so
0: just just give us a bit of the backstory of the company and how it came to be i mean was there a a moment when you, when a light bulb went off and you realised, God, the growth in in e-commerce is leading to you know all of this single-use plastic packaging. We really have to do something about it, and we really need to develop something uh, that deals with this problem that's environmentally friendly.
3: Yeah, I don't know if we had a light bulb moment as such, but but Beck Pikaski and I, Beck's my co-founder, had been working for a, a tech startup called Starship It, which facilitates the fulfilment of online transactions. And it was while we were there uh, that we could see and this this is quite a long time ago now. this is sort of six years ago, the extraordinary rise of e-commerce then, uh, and at one stage, uh, ship it was talking about potentially producing packaging, and Beck was. I wouldn't say she was horrified, but she sort of basically said, look, I can't be involved in anything that's going to involve putting more virgin plastic out into the world. Uh, and so when she um, moved away from Starship, it, that was one of the ideas that she had for her you know, next venture um, was to design a more sustainable courier satchel. And that was when she came to me uh, and asked if I wanted to do it with her. And yeah, here we are.
0: Yeah, fantastic. And, and it, basically you supply merchants with the packaging, is that right?
3: Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, We have a couple of sort of more retail outlets around the place, but predominantly it's merchants buying from our website in lots of a 100 mailers at a time.
0: And when they approach you to put in an order, uh, presumably some of them are making the shift from plastics to your form of packaging. Uh, Are they doing that because their customers are demanding... That they get out of single-use plastics into more sustainable packaging.
1: I think
3: it's a combination, Paul. I think when we first started out, there was a, we've, we saw immediate demand, and we actually had people saying to us every day, "I search Google for sustainable or plastic-free, you know, mailers." And, and until today, I, I couldn't find them. Uh, and so I think there were a lot of companies, um, mostly small companies, to be fair, who. Putting a huge amount of effort into sourcing and producing their products more sustainably, and to then have to put their beautiful, whatever baby clothes, um, stainless steel lunch boxes or whatever they're making, into a plastic mailer to send, just felt almost you know criminal, it really felt like they were letting their own brand and values down. Mm,
1: yeah. So those
3: were our early adopters. And then I think as time's gone on, and consumers have realized, because they're now receiving these mailers that there are alternatives, they're then putting pressure on retailers who are still using traditional virgin plastics to up their game.
0: God, I have to admit, uh, as someone who's worked in the media for 30 years and uh, been somewhat of a major consumer of of magazines of various descriptions, including overseas. Subscriptions. I, I, I hate to think of the number mm. of beautiful magazines that have been sent to me from all over the place, wrapped in those single-use mm. plastics. Uh, th- th- this was a business yeah. that you were once involved in. Yeah, pre- 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 presumably the magazine industry is changing along these lines as well?
3: Yeah, we have had some uptake. And yes, I, I used to publish my own magazine and refused to send it out in plastic wrap. Uh, This was 15 years ago, and uh, would put it in recycled paper envelopes instead. It all had to be done by hand, and it was such a drag, and you know, sometimes they'd end up wet, but uh, it just went against all my values to put it in plastic. So, we we do have a wrap that is suitable for wrapping magazines, and we've got um, a couple of publishers here in New Zealand using it, um, and increasingly in Australia.
0: Uh, James, if I can come to you, you, you have uh, built a carbon-neutral digital courier service, as you say, for small business. Uh, you've taken on rather deliberately Australia Post, and should say you use uh, Kate's packaging yourself. Uh, so we do indeed. <laughs> tell us about your business and how how it fits into this world, I suppose, of e-commerce and and conscious consumerism.
4: Yeah, well, well, similar to Kate, we we um, we actually had another business which was a, a giving. Uh, network and where people could give things away and we noticed that there was absolutely nothing uh, that could be used to send parcels sustainably, anywhere in the country, um, affordably and really, really simply. Uh, And so we started to build it for ourselves, um, effectively building a network. and, And to get it sustainable, the first thing we did was to try to open up capacity in existing, you might call them enterprise courier networks and make them available first to ourselves. Uh, but then around 2014, a whole pile of eBay sellers um, actually started to use this giving network and they'd use it for shipping. Um, it would be like, I will sell you something on eBay and then I'll pretend to give you the same thing um, just to take advantage of what we built in terms of the shipping. And we we started to dig into this and and what we realised was that there was nobody, nobody was really building something for logistics for the small seller. Um, you know, Australia Post um, we had a, is effectively a functional monopoly in that space, over 85% of all shipping, but they were not focusing 100% on the needs of those small senders. And so we, in 2015, we, um, you know, you might say, uh, you know, dived into that problem, and um, within a month we were sending as many parcels on Sendal as we were on the, the giving platform. The second month it doubled, and uh, today now we're sending... I think we've sent over 20 billion kilometres... Of parcels are 100% carbon neutral.
0: I'm imagining that a lot of people are thinking how does a small little company, uh, as, well you're not as small as you were once, but how does a relatively small company like Sendall take on a, a monolith like Australia Post and, and, and manage to beat them?
4: Yeah well the first thing was I mean we were very fortunate because the way we built ourselves was all about identifying waste and identifying idle capacity. And um, by doing that, we were able to create a service that was both um, better and cheaper. So in the very early days, we actually didn't talk about being carbon neutral very much at all. In fact, in 2015, um, sometimes if we talk about it, everyone would assume we would actually cost more, um, when in fact we were saving money for our merchants. Um, It's only been around about 2019, and we started to see this this major shift uh, towards folk realising that you know, um, or in fact, you know, uh, purchasing around values became really important. Mm. Um, that, And in fact, there's a whole lot of research that shows, that we found that shows that, um, you know, about 70% of all consumers, if all else is, e- e- is, is equal, they will actually purchase aligned with their values. And those values could be around sustainability or it could be around supporting local community or whatever it might be. But values-based purchasing has become very, very important. And so around 2019 um, is when we realised that this is something, you know, we talked to our merchants about and they started to promote the fact that they were shipping 100% carbon neutral. Um, It was around that time as well that, you know, we started to to work with Better Packaging Co. And, you know, we love the compostable satchels because, you know, the two major impacts um, in e-commerce is the shipping and the packaging. Mm. And so really working together to, to create, you know, trying to have zero impact um, through e-commerce. Well, just, just on that, I mean,
0: obviously there's, there's the packaging, which is a concern, getting out of single-use plastics into something compostable. But of course, then the other side of this equation uh, is fossil fuel emissions that come with those vans that drop off all the parcels at at people's houses? How are you managing, as a carbon-neutral company, how are you managing to deal with the fact that, you know, basically most of these cars that are dropping off the packages are um, are run on petrol?
4: Yeah, well, in the early days, it was looking for efficiencies in the network and then offsetting. Um, And and our customers actually get to vote where the offsets go, which was was really cool, giving them, um, you know, the the real ability to choose. But more recently, what we're looking at is, is carbon intensity as you say, which is which is really about converting networks. Um, so, for example, in Sydney now, um, uh, a lot of our deliveries are done. We worked together with one of our partners um, through electric vehicles, where the energy is actually generated on the roof of the courier depot. Because most large networks actually have two big things: they've got the vehicles and they've got the, the depots. And the and the and you might think that the the sunlight on the roof of those depots is basically wasted energy. And so we're starting to see the, the the conversion of the network, and and really back to your earlier point, Paul. You know, I think e-commerce absolutely has to take responsibility for the emissions. It has to absolutely take responsibility in a world where the climate crisis is not going away. And take and and because if it doesn't do it, it loses its real license to operate.
2: The twenty-somethings are really switched on to sustainability. They, it's really important to them. Yeah. And so I've been, you know. I know that even though I've got that feel, feeling as well, but my daughter's definitely going. Mum, we need to change this. We need to make sure we come up to this now. And hey, as soon as this is becoming available, let's do it too. And so we're always on the on the lookout for how things are progressing, so well, we can that,
0: take them on. The the thing about your product too, uh, uh, Chinchia, is that we're talking about small balls, little balls that you pop into, into smoothies that need actually to be individually wrapped. Yeah. Uh, uh, how concerned were you about the, the potential environmental waste that could be created by your product and to what extent did that drive uh, you to, to ensure that that wrapping could actually be compostable?
2: Well, look, I was very concerned because I knew that there was a lot of waste there. And when we started out, you know, you don't have any money, so you kind of you do what you can and, you, and, you know, there's the, the integrity of, of the food in there, so you got to make sure that it's got, it's got that, you know, seal and it's got all that stuff done. So, you know, we, we had to go with what we had to start with, which was plastic, because we knew that that's the way everyone was doing it but i kept looking around and asking around and even the manufacturer that i bought the plastic from I was saying you know is there you know i i'd heard that there were things coming up and i kept kind of probing them to to look to find some stuff for, for me and then i you know they put me on to someone else and i finally found a producer that was bringing in this compostable film and i thought that's fantastic i'm doing it you know mm. it's there's it's a no-brainer but of course it was you know triple the price of what I was paying uh, with plastic. It was much more like I was paying under a cent a wrapper and when I went to Compostable it was like four cents. So it was a big jump. But by then the consumer was telling me, you know, we had um, a lot of people say they loved our product but they felt really bad about the plastic and and I did too. So it was like we have to do it. It's Mm. something that we've got to do.
0: But you know all of those. I mean, it adds up. It doesn't sound like much, you know, one cent compared to four cents per wrapper or whatever. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, in a, at a business at scale, you've got to keep a handle on on cost. Uh, who foots the bill for the increased cost of the packaging? Is that something you absorb? Can you tack it on to the to the retail price? How do you deal with that?
2: I actually absorbed it. I didn't put the price up when it when we changed it. I just thought look it's like a marketing it's a marketing tool because I think it's uh it makes people feel good if they're buying something that they they know that we've done the thinking for them. It's been sorted out. our, our products organic so it's a it's you know it's it's integral in our in our brand to have something that's sustainable as the packages, the packaging as well as what's what's inside and what they're buying. So mm. I just thought, you know, I, I haven't put the price up at all in the the whole, you know, 10 years now. So it's probably, we're probably due to put it up, but I'm just like, oh, you know, we try and, we try and make it like we hoping that the, the bigger we get, we don't need to really bring prices up and just, you know, hopefully, hopefully the, the compostable wrappers are getting more and more and more available. And so those prices are going to come down because yeah. it's just through through more more consumers using it.
0: Uh, Jonathan, we talk a lot about the consumer being much more aware of environmental impact uh, and, in, in this instance, in terms of e-commerce uh, as well. Is, is there much evidence that consumers are prepared to pay more for items that are packaged sustainably?
1: Uh, yes, there is, and... Um in a, in a survey that Nielsen did, um, I think this was from 2019, um, and other surveys also have, have, have taken place that show that consumers, um, certainly you know, about half of consumers are willing to pay more for, um, for sustainably packaged products. But it's been interesting. Um, I think we have to be mindful of the fact that as, as we come out of COVID and, and maybe not so much in Australia and New Zealand, um, but certainly in other economies around the world where they've been hit particularly hard by, by COVID and there's uh, you know um, a really bad economic fallout from it. Um, I, I think that we're starting to see a pattern of, of consumers becoming a little bit more, or at least there's certainly a large chunk of them becoming more, more focused on price um, and not so much on things like sustainability.
3: Mm.
0: Uh, w- would you say that, uh, conscious consumerism if i can use that term mm. has been a big driver in in e-commerce that the people who are purchasing or have traditionally purchased online tend to be perhaps more aware of these issues than than other
1: shoppers you know i don't have any evidence for that one way or the other but my instinct is to say no um my instinct to say is my instinct is to say that it would seem to me that every type of channel has different types of consumers, different types of consumers come from different generations and um, different income levels and so forth. And so I, I would have thought, and, and maybe some of the other panellists might have a different opinion, but I, I would have thought that um, uh, generally it's more about an alignment between the business and its values and what it does and for whom does it do it, and and the customer, rather than trying to make generalisations around channels.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't mind your thoughts on this, Kate. With the kind of merchants that you are dealing with and selling to, are they businesses that have sustainability front and centre of their business model, or are they businesses that in a sense have been nudged in that direction by customer demand?
3: It certainly started out that it was initially very much businesses who had sustainability front and centre of their values who adopted our packaging first, but... No, what we're seeing now is that it's becoming far more what I'd call mainstream. Uh, We have brands who would even be probably considered sort of fast fashion or the like now using our packaging. Uh, You know, they're even, you know, we, we have to go through sustainability departments within these companies, et cetera, you know, as part of the sort of RFP process. I think sustainability is becoming... Almost, you know, a no-brainer within any corporate these days, and uh, and because alternatives now do exist to to less sustainable packaging, uh, it is one of the, I guess, one of the easier ways to address the sustain- sustainability, and certainly a very customer-facing way to do it.
1: and, just, and if I can add to that point? Sure, sure. Um, I, I think I think the. The, the concerns around plastics and so forth were already obviously well on the radar of all sorts of um, businesses. And even back in 2018, large corporations made a commitment that by 2025, they would be operating within a plastic circular economy. And we're talking mm-hmm. about Coca-Cola and PepsiCo and Walmart, Nestle and of course, Unilever, which is held up really as as um, one of the most sustainably focused corporations in the world. So um, yeah, I think I think this is this is certainly a growth area generally across the board. And coming back to a phrase that James used before, this is about a social social license to operate as a business.
0: Mm, yeah, I mean, I, I'm interested in the recycled plastic packaging. I mean. That's good in in one respect, because you're moving away from single use plastic and you're reusing that plastic. But at the end of the day you're still basically using packaging that can't be compostable. Uh, James, does that make that kind of packaging sort of
4: suboptimal? Well, I mean we we went to the better packaging company because literally, like Kate said, this was the best. Right, we, we we wanted to have something that was, was truly taking responsibility for the entire circle. It's that you know what they, what's often called the circular economy. You want to make sure that you're not just having a linear buy it bury it. Um, that you know you can actually see that the the materials going back into the environment in in a safe way. So so we chose for that reason, um, and, and I think that one of the interesting things is there is a transition that may occur. Um, back to this whole social license to operate. Um, I know, for example, take plastic straws. Uh, my mm. my 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 kids, you know, committed to never having another plastic straw, and you know what? Two years later, or whatever, they have not actually used a single plastic straw. Mm. And and you think about places that are just converting, and it just becomes, you know, this is now the way in which we operate. Yeah. And so I think that 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 shift. It's interesting to to begin with in the short term, it might be a cost versus you know value sort of transition there is it there is potentially tipping points when it just becomes this is the way the packaging should be
0: yeah i am really interested in that in that idea of you know basically when the tipping point uh, occurs you, you're integrated your business sendal is integrated with some of the really big e-commerce platforms ebay etsy shopify and so on to what extent do you think they recognize that there was and is a packaging crisis that needs to be addressed I mean they're big platforms um, like a lot of big uh, tech platforms they're there to make money uh, do, do you think the penny has dropped for them that they really need to quickly get out of, of plastics
4: oh well I think the penny has dropped absolutely that you know all those companies you mentioned you know eBay Etsy shopify you know are very passionate about you know taking responsibility for for the imp- in the impacts of of e-commerce and also what's interesting is they're all focusing on again that smaller merchant as well as sometimes the bigger ones but the smaller merchants and 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 really part of what some of the businesses we're hearing you know it's ways of helping those small merchants to compete Mm. because at the end of the day this also you know um, is about making sure that you don't get left behind. Like, if the entire market shifts towards saying we're going to take responsibility, we're going to deliver 100% carbon neutral, we're going to have compostable packaging, you know, there is... We want to make sure that small business as well can do it too.
0: A lot of the argument around this sort of stuff in the past has been government needs to act, there needs to be regulation, we need to pull corporations into line. Uh, Jonathan, how much can we afford to leave, for example, the choice of combustible, com- compostable e-commerce packaging up to the market where there does seem to be uh, you know change happening and how much should government just move in and say, no, this is a requirement, we mandate this?
1: Es- essentially all sorts of factors play, come into play when we when we talk about how markets are changing and emerging. Um, organizations like Greenpeace here in New Zealand had an enormously successful um, plastics, anti plastics campaign that then shaped consumer behaviours around um, single use plastic bags in supermarkets, and consumers were pressuring supermarkets. And then the government turned around later on, once, once consumers had really sort of Im- embraced this, and the government turned around and said, Oh, we're going to do away with single use plastic bags. Well, the reality was that it already happened. So, I, 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 yes, of course, government has a, an important role to play from a regulatory perspective but also climate scientists and environmental groups and, um, and really responsible and thoughtful business people also have their part to play as well. So I think it's a combination of factors.
0: Mm. Uh, Chincy, uh, you like actual shopping too, don't you, even though you're now an online seller? Uh, are there things on a personal level that you, that you wouldn't buy online? I mean, is there... I'm just trying to get a sense from someone who runs a successful online business about how they see uh, the future of, of bricks-and-mortar shopping.
2: Yeah, look, it's funny, because there are certain things that I'm totally fine to buy online, but others, I still have got that old-fashioned way of walking in and, like, clothing. I do like going in and trying things on and seeing if they look all right on in the mirror and, and stuff like that. But my daughter has taught me, <laughs> again, because she buys clothes all the time online, and um, and so she's like, Mum, you can buy online some clothes. It's fine. You can just send it back. So I've learned to do that a bit but I still I still like the going in and with some things I do like um having that personal experience and I think I think um if I had a a bricks and mortar store now I would make sure that my cu- my staff had the capacity to make that customer who comes in feel good because you know they for a long time they just You'd walk into stores and you don't get heard or seen and it's just... It, the experience n- is not good. Hmm. So the idea of of, um, of wanting to keep... If that's going to stay, then there needs to be some work done to the way uh, those those areas are, are made more appealing because otherwise it's so much easier just to, you know, do things by s- sitting on your computer and it arriving and if it doesn't fit, you just send it back.
0: Yeah. You know, I walked through the central business district of Melbourne today. I live on the other side of town and I was walking to work through the city in the middle of lockdown, uh, absolutely empty. The shops are are shut. But in actual fact, even if uh, I'd walked through that uh, central business district uh, a couple of weeks ago when it was still fairly lively... A lot of the shops are, uh, are shut, Jonathan. I mean, you know, the, the kind of decline of retail had commenced, shopfront retail had commenced before COVID, accelerated by COVID. Now you've got all of these, this vast expanse of uh, prestige real estate that, that kind of mm. lays empty in our capital cities. What, what's, what's the future as, as you see it for traditional retail and all of those shops? I'm sure it's the same in, in Auckland and Wellington and your big cities as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely right. Um, and uh, I mean, in, in New Zealand, we've been really lucky because the lockdowns have been relatively um, relatively short and re- there's been relatively few of them. Um, I did look up some numbers this morning before coming here around department stores um, and found that in New Zealand, department store sales had, had, had reduced, the value of sales had reduced 3% last year. Um, in Australia... That number is twenty four percent. Oh wow! So just just massive. But but on, honestly, I think I think Cinzia absolutely nailed it. <laughs> you know, what is the future for for brick and mortar? Well, you have to make your customer feel special. They have mm-hmm. to get something. You know, the competitive advantage is what the customer gets in the face to face brick and mortar setting that you can't get online or is very hard to establish online. Um, and, and and that really is 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 the path forward, um, but also you know as as James mentioned too, um, this this move to online has just had an extraordinary impact on a lot of small businesses who now have massive markets where they're no longer stuck just trying to serve a farmer's market. You know mm. we've had a number of like artisanal producers in New Zealand, small cheese makers, people like that who are now selling in. You know, throughout New Zealand and Australia, um, I know of a dressmaker who who moved online and now the sales have gone through the roof. So, yeah, it's probably going to be tough on these commercial um, real estate landlords. But at the same time, these these consumers that, that, sorry, these these business people that are doing this well, this move online, um, there are also a lot of really great potential benefits there.
0: Yeah, James. Yeah,
2: and can I just say too, sure. there are a lot of these bigger stores, or a lot of stores are now running. Um, like you can go into a store and feel and touch, but you can't buy it. Then you can buy it online. Like there's new concepts that are coming about as well, which I've seen with some brands that they have like a, a look store that you can go in mm-hmm. and and do that, but you don't buy it from there. You go online, which is kind of another concept again. Mm-hmm. You know.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask you, James, uh, how much more growth you're, you're anticipating in the e-commerce market and in the, I suppose, in the conscious uh, consumerist e-commerce market?
4: Yeah, as we've heard, we, we more than doubled last year as well. And we've also, um, in, in the end of 2019, launched in the US. So we're now also the only 100% carbon neutral national courier in the United States. And we just see that, you know, we're at the tip of the iceberg Um, You know, one of the things coming back to the very beginning of the conversation, uh, I think COVID has really, you know, in six months, brought forward online retail by five years. You know, it's five years worth of progress in six months. Mm -hmm. And that's a massive shift. And and we probably have gone through one of the biggest experiments in, you know, human behaviour the world has ever seen um, in terms of behaviour change, right? I think there's a lot of folk who you know, again, been shopping online for the first time, you're probably going to continue doing that. Um, This is not going away, and I think it's just going to keep on growing.
0: Look, it's been fantastic to talk to all of you. Uh, Chinchia, Kate, James, Jonathan, thanks very much for joining us. Uh, Thanks very much. Fantastic chat.